0: Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Uh, well, we're going to continue on. You get a bunch of pastors and area directors in the room, you get like multiple sermons, right? <laughs> so hang on, here we go. No, I'm, I love, as you know, I, uh, I, I have just, even this morning, have this great sense of joy about being together and how appropriate that is in that this is the third week of Advent. And uh, I know I've, I've had these really fascinating conversations with a number of people, people who are familiar with Advent and know the progression and process, and some people for whom this progression and, uh, is newer. And so that, that gives my heart a lot of joy. We come to the third week of Advent, and we see a couple of changes start to happen in our time together. This third week of Advent traditionally carries with it the reflection on joy. So there's a couple of ways that we notice that. First, we, a lot of people ask in Advent, what is the deal with the pink candle? That just is different, right? Well, one of the things that we see is a visual change in the progression of our, of our reflection on Advent. The pink candle is a really cool kind of thing. The, the, the word that's used for this is gaudete. And it represents a reflection on joy. But it also is a word that's translated as the color rose. Isn't that cool? And so we, we see a marked difference. We've been holding throughout our Advent season this tension. This tension of this waiting and patience and, and long-suffering for the Messiah. And yet we live in a time where we know the end of the story. And so we've been holding this tension uh, in uh, together. Well, today is this fun kind of beginning where that, uh, where that tension just begins to alleviate some. And we turn from the Old Testament prophets longing, waiting for Messiah, from these very devastating stories to the New Testament. We begin to hear the stories, the scripture stories of the birth of Jesus. And we're, it's marked by a visual difference. Isn't that amazing? So we're going to talk about joy today. And one of the things that I'm so excited, I hope today is encouraging, and it reminds us that we are different. We, as a people who follow Jesus, are, we think about joy differently. Uh, and we're going to kind of explore the trajectory of joy throughout the Bible a little bit. Yep, from the very beginning to the very end. So it's like two hours. Ready? <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, so, but I want to make something very clear Biblical joy, the idea of of joy in the Bible, goes for us far beyond a simple, happy feeling. And I think it's so important for us to recognize that in our world and in our context today. This marks us as different, and it encourages us in our daily life. Biblical joy is more than just being in a really great mood— Uh, Which for us today in our culture, I think is mostly connected with having favorable circumstances in your life. You're not happy unless things are going well, right? And if things are not going well, it's difficult to find joy. Well, as we're going to find out, we can actually have joy even if we're facing uh, significant challenges in our life. I'd like to uh, read a good chunk of Luke chapter 2. Uh, and we're going we're to, gonna, these will be on the screen, but you can open up your Bibles if you'd like. Luke chapter 2 from the very beginning, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to read a good chunk of this. It says this. At that time, the Roman governor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Corinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to be registered for the census. Debbie, could you go through this with me? This is not working. Thank you. And because Joseph was a descendant of David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I love that because we've noticed in a lot of our Advent texts, that's a, that's a significant theme in this season for us. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will be great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. It does my heart good to read that text, and I know for a lot of us it does as well because uh, we, we, uh, we love this, this passage. Now, there are a lot of things that can bring joy in our lives, right? For example, it would bring a lot of joy if the Seahawks were good. <laughs> They're not. Uh, <laughs> Uh, joy the company of good friends or maybe sharing a meal uh, with people the thrill of an unexpected gift and the list could go on there's lots of things that we could say that bring joy in our lives but even though there are things that can provide a feeling of happiness in our lives our our lives and even our own history uh, maybe have not always been full of joy especially over the past few years the story of the Bible shows, that, shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by sin, it's broken, it's marked by death and loss. And this is where the Bible offers us a very unique perspective on the idea of joy. So what does the Bible tell us about joy? Well, it says this, and you'll see it on the screen, that joy is an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and his promise, his promise that he's going to do something, and boy, does he do something, right? In this wonderful scene here in Luke chapter 2, uh, we we'll read through it, but we, it's fun to recognize that it does not begin in a very happy circumstance. What we find is that God's people are again under an oppressive ruler. Augustus is the emperor of Rome at this point, and he's the very picture of power and might. We know that from our, from our own history books about the Roman emperors. And in this story, he's exercising significant power and control, having everyone registered. Now we might not recognize that right away because we do a census in our own country and we just, maybe it's, it's just benign like that, but the census in these days wasn't a count to be used for organizing something like city services or help programs. Augustus wanted to do two things. He wanted to know how many people were under his rule and he wanted to, this was an act of dominion and pride on his part, forcing everyone to their ancestral homes to be counted. In fact, what's really fun as we think about this is the biblical scholars think that Luke, our author here, is comparing two different kinds of kings. I love that idea. One, someone who's lording earthly power, that would be the emperor, and the other, who begins his kingdom with the humble trappings of a baby in a manger. And the underlying fact is which one is more powerful? (laughs) There's no question. Still, the beginning of this story reminds us that the emperor is in control and it's not a very fun beginning to this passage. So what's fascinating is that being under an oppressive ruler uh, isn't a rare situation for God's people right? We know this from the, from the scripture stories. Much of uh, the history of God's people is marked by times of oppression, slavery, and very tragic situations. But what we're going to notice, and this is what marks us as different, and this gives us hope in this day, is that joy for God's people has always been a way, has always had a way of expressing itself in the darkest of circumstances. Because joy is an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of their happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and his promises that he will take action. And, and uh, wow, does God come through. In the book of Exodus, uh, when the Israelites were suffering from 400 years of slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them to freedom. And because of what God did, one of the first things that the Israelites do is sing for joy. You'll see it on the screen. Psalm 105, 43, it says, so he brought his people out of Egypt with joy. Debbie, would you switch that for me? Thank you. <clears throat> it says, so he brought his people out of Egypt with joy, his chosen ones with rejoicing. Isn't that amazing? I love that. That out of this uh, this difficult circumstance, we see that God's people are rejoicing. From Egypt, they entered into the wilderness for 40 years. They were in the middle of a desert. They were vulnerable. The promised land was still far away at this point, and yet God continually provided for them. It took them some time, but they learned how to rejoice in their difficulty. Isaiah 51.3 says this, that the Lord will comfort Israel again and have pity on her ruins Her desert will blossom like Eden. Her barren wilderness like a garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found there. Songs of thanksgiving will fill the air. Whoa. Out of the most difficult circumstances, time and time again, what's expressed in God's people through the hardship is joy. That's who we are. That's how joy works. It's not based on happy circumstances, but on God's promise, his love, and his action in the world. This joy in the wilderness was a defining way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but on God's promised deliverance. That's what this week is all about. I love it. So how is this hitting you? How are you, when you hear the truth of this, this is hopefully an encouragement and a reminder of who we are. How is this? Are you facing some dire circumstances, some difficult times? And I know that many of you are. How is your, what does joy look like for you in that? So we pay attention to the truth of scripture here because God brings good news of great joy to you this morning, you who are sitting in these chairs in Snohomish, Washington. This message is for us too. Praise the Lord, right? This nagging sense of joy that defines God's people didn't go away even in the period after God's people moved out of the wilderness into the promised land where again, time and time again, they were conquered by oppressive rulers, enslaved. This is when you hear, uh, you have like the prophet Isaiah writing about the day that the Lord would rise up a new deliverer like Moses out of Egypt. Because of that deliverer, amazing things were in store. You'll see this on the screen again, Isaiah 51, starting in verse 11. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. That's incredible. Sorrow and mourning will disappear, and they will be filled with joy and gladness. I, yes, I am the one who comforts you. So why are you afraid of mere humans who wither like the grass and disappear? Uh, Yet you have forgotten the Lord, your creator, the one who stretched out the sky like a canopy and laid the foundations of the earth. Will you remain in constant dread of human oppressors? Will you continue to feel fear, the anger of your enemies? Where is their fury and anger now? It is gone. Soon all you captives will be released. Imprisonment, starvation, and death will not be your fate. For I am the Lord your God. Amen. So if you and I are part of God's people, it means that we have a history of persistent joy that is not based on our circumstances, but on the promise and love of God. Amen. <laughs> I hope that this is, I hope the Lord is speaking to you in these moments. So here in Luke 2, again, God takes loving action on our behalf, giving us a pathway to joy in the midst of really difficult circumstances. A baby wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. God will always come through. God will always come through, and almost always in ways that we don't expect or don't have the full picture, right? Right? A baby? God, you're doing it wrong, right? We kind of talked about this last week. It's like, why don't you show up to, like, to, to the emperor and be like, there's a new sheriff in town, finger guns, right? Like, God, a baby? The challenge for us is to ask ourselves, do we have perspective big enough to trust God's loving care, even in the midst of what life brings our way? What's amazing is that as we track the story of God's people from the Old Testament to what we, we begin to see uh, is that not only has God promised help in the people, in the midst of people in their immediate circumstances, but we hear language of the ultimate promise for all humanity for all time. I love that God's rescue is local and, in, and, and placed, <laughs> and yet it's powerful enough that it covers all time and all people, Amen. We begin to hear this language of a savior. Stirrings of hope and joy begin to bubble up from the deepest places of our souls. And that, I pray, is happening right now. That the Lord, through by the power of his Holy Spirit, is actually speaking to you. Reframing and renewing maybe some of your own circumstances. From the wilderness to the desert, right to us today and beyond. We begin to ask, God, could you actually really set all things right in this broken world? And then we read promises like this. You'll see it on the screen, Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, which we talked about last week. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, David. And so David, uh, 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 Joseph, a descendant of King David, goes to Bethlehem in Judea. He travels there from Nazareth, taking with him Mary, to whom he's engaged. And while there, she she gives birth to her firstborn son. She wraps him in strips of cloth and she lays him in a manger. That very night... We know the story. This is God unfolding his loving action on our behalf that very night. There were shepherds staying in the field nearby guarding the flocks of sheep and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified but the angel reassured them do not be afraid, he said. I will bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people, the Savior. Yes, the Messiah the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. You can almost, I know we've probably done this multiple years as you hear these stories, but you can almost see the shepherds kind of looking at each other, dumbfounded, right? Could this really be happening? That we've been waiting for, for so long, from Egypt to the wilderness to the promised land, we've suffered so much, we've waited for so long, could this really be God's promised Messiah? Could God really be keeping his promise and setting all things right? I bet the shepherds ran, (laughs) Jesus of Nazareth, born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. This persistent joy throughout the history of God's people to you and me even today. (laughs) This long-awaited hope actually here in the flesh and blood. And get this, this is like a whole nother sermon. We could do a whole nother sermon on this, but, but the way that God announced it and to whom he announced it, you know who got that message? Not the emperor, but the marginalized, the people on the outside of, of, the, of importance, people of no influence. That's who first heard the message. People who would really and fully understand the deep significance of the joy that's being announced. Not someone who could shove it off or, or just dismiss it like maybe the emperor would. Oh great, let's go find this guy, and, you know. But to, to, to the marginalized of society who needed this hope and joy. That's a whole other sermon, but it's exciting. <laughs> the joy that God can bring can come in the darkest of fields in the middle of the night. That's God's M.O., He always seems to come in ways that we don't understand and to people uh, we don't expect with an incredible promise of faithfulness. And I hope that you include you, yourself, in that number. Are you in need of this? That, That joy that God brings, this persistent joy, even in the midst of your difficult circumstances, are you in need of that this morning? If so, you've come to the right place at the right time and our God is powerful and faithful, amen. We are the ones now desperate to hear from a God of active love, giving us hope and renewing joy, especially as we remember how God does things, how he decides to rescue his people, the story of the Bible. His promise was not to provide for us, uh, not only in this life, but for all time to come. That's the whole point. Ultimate rescue and an invitation to an intimate relationship with a real God that renews us in his presence now and forever. Thank you, Jesus. As Jesus began his ministry, he, I, he uh, shows us this relentless kind of persistent joy as he is in ministry. And with his disciples, he teaches them the same thing in very difficult times. Look at this, Matthew 5, 11 through 12. He tells us, his, his guys, uh, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For great reward awaits you in heaven. I don't like that. <laughs> but, but God is saying, that's what, this is what we do, is that there's this persistent joy uh, that, that comes not from our circumstances, but from God. And so they did. Early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even if they were persecuted. In Acts 13, 52, it says this, and the believers were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. I love that. So God, throughout the story of his people from Old Testament to New Testament because of His love and promise, encouraged His people to have a persistent joy that is founded not in our circumstances but in God's character and His nature, His love and His promise uh, to take action in our world. Ultimately, God acted through the giving of his Son at Christmas time, and Jesus death and resurrection showing us that God had power over life and death itself. And as we trust him without fear, we can have this ongoing and never, la- or never ending relationship with God. And when, when you believe in Jesus's love, that he has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable even in the darkest of circumstances. Because he can do anything. <laughs> this doesn't mean that we ignore or suppress our sorrow or difficult times. That's not a healthy thing to do. Uh, certainly, but we understand it differently. In fact, we have examples in scripture like Jesus weeping over the tomb of Lazarus or Paul who often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. In 2 Corinthians six ten, it says, our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we uh, give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Paul experienced uh, or acknowledged this pain and yet he made a choice to trust Jesus and that his loss wouldn't be the final word. Isn't that good news for you and me as well? Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' life and his love. So I wanna encourage you this morning. If you are in need of renewed hope and a growing sense of, of joy in your life that goes beyond your circumstances, Jesus is the way to that. He's proved it over and over through his scripture, through the scripture, and even through our own experience. He was born to renew the brokenness of our world and you and me. Born to reconcile us and bring us into relationship with God, a relationship that will give us freedom and purpose and that will never end. Thank you, Jesus. So through faith in Jesus, we can come to God and we can be made brand new. We believe that Jesus died on the cross for us, taking with him our sin, all those things that break that relationship with God, our decision to go other, a, a different direction than what God wants for us. He takes all of that and it dies in the grave with him. And it stays there. But Jesus does not stay there, amen? And neither do we as we put our faith in Jesus God has the power over death, and the Bible says that he took up his life again, and we believe, as we believe in him, we too can receive this gift of new life to be made brand new for all eternity. What joy. Again, you'll see it on the screen. Joy is an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and his promise, his promise to redeem us, and that is exactly what he did. Amen. Worship team, would you come on back up? I love how this passage that we looked at today ends. Uh, As we celebrate the love expressed through this baby in the manger, we can recognize the joy that was announced at that field in the night. And I love how it says, don't be afraid the angel said. I bring you good news that will be great joy for all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has finally, has finally been born in Bethlehem today. And for you and me, that means that everything will be different. What joy. Let's sing together.